Welcome back to Good Money Habits. This is episode four and my name is Julia Shortinghouse. For those of you who have been following along in this series, earlier on we spoke about the three fundamentals of financial education, being compound interest, inflation and diversification. And today we're going to look to how we can start to put those three concepts into action. We're also going to hone in on that long-term goals and objectives bucket by looking at superannuation. Now, before your eyes glaze over and you think this isn't really of interest to me or doesn't really apply to me, maybe because you feel like you don't have a lot of super at the moment, hang in with, their, hang in with me because this really is important. I'm also going to touch on the early access to superannuation that's now available as a result of COVID-19. It is important to understand the implications of taking an early withdrawal from your super if you do qualify. For some, it will very much be an, a needed lifeline to get them through, but more on that one later. Now, as, a, as always, it is important to understand that today's episode is of general nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs, and therefore might not be appropriate for you. But let's get started with the basics today. What is super? So super in its most simplest form is essentially a way of saving for your retirement. What's important to understand here is that it's your hard earned money that's being invested so that you've got money to live off later when you do decide to retire or when you're able to retire. But how does it work? Well, when you get your first job, your employer pays a percentage of your earnings into your superannuation account, and your super fund then invests the money for you until you retire. Now, the minimum amount that your employer can put in is 9.5% of your regular pay. That's referred to as the superannuation guarantee, and it's on top of your normal take-home salary. In most cases, you'll be eligible to receive super from your employer if you earn more than $450 in a month, if you're aged over the age of 18 as well. Even if you have a casual job, your employer must pay you super. If you're under 18, you need to work more than 30 hours a week. Now, super for everybody starts off small, and this is an example of where the power of compound interest is your friend, not your foe. And your fund will grow faster than you might think. As your employer contributes regularly into your fund, your money will be invested and will, will grow and will accumulate over time. Now, when you start a job, you can usually either choose a super fund or let your employer choose for you. So understanding the basics is important to help you work out what kind of super account you want and whether or not it's right for you. Now, if you do want to choose your own or change your account, there are quite a few options. So we'll talk about some of those. Most funds offer a simple low fee option called a My Super Account. And that's usually the default account that your employer will use. So two things uh, to begin with that I suggest you do. Um, number one is start to get engaged with or familiar with your super. Think about reviewing at a minimum of every year, ideally every quarter. Every quarter. Um, six months is probably the, the best, but at, at, at an absolute minimum, once a year. Go, go have a look at what type of fund you've got at the moment. Um, if you're not sure of the different types, I would go to the ASIC Money Smart website. Um, have a read through the How Super Works section because it does include some really good explanations of the different types of super and the differences between them. 
So coming back to super, um, when you're looking at yours, have a look at how much have you got? How is it invested? How much are you paying in fees? Do you have insurance in your fund? And if so, what type and how much? Also, do you have a death benefit nomination in place? That's an important one, and I'm going to delve further into that one when we get to the estate planning episode later on. Now, if you do decide that it's important to build your super, there are some things you might consider that can make quite a big difference over time. So I'm going to work through three. Firstly, the first one is thinking about making extra contributions to grow your super. So this is essentially about letting compound interest do some of the heavy lifting for you. And the earlier you start, the better. I have a number of clients who have always had average incomes, but they started adding to their super from a very young age and have accumulated far more than they ever thought was possible. Much of that boost does come from the tax savings so inside super. So if you can manage to do something now, even if it's small because you have other goals and commitments that you need to consider, it will pay off in the long run. And remember that with inflation, the cost of living goes up over time. So the earlier you get started, the better to give you a chance of making sure that you've got that inflation effect covered as well. So let me now explain the difference between the two broad types of contributions that you can make into your super. So it's a little bit of jargon. So the two broad types are concessional and non-concessional. So the first type, which is a concessional contribution, are payments into your super fund from your pre-tax or before-tax income. They're tax deductible for self-employed people. They include your employer's superannuation guarantee contribution, so that 9.5% that we just spoke about. It also includes salary sacrifice or what's called personal deductible contributions, which I'll touch on further in a moment. Now, money that goes into your super as a concessional contribution is taxed at 15% when it's received by your fund. Um, that's for most types of funds. Some people might be fortunate to have what's called an untaxed fund, which doesn't have that tax taken out up front, but for most people it will be 15% tax. And there's also a limit as to how much you can put in each financial year by way of a concessional contribution. Now, I mentioned that salary sacrifice is a type of concessional contribution. With this type, you can ask your employer to pay part of your pre-tax salary into your super account. These payments are included in the total of the concessional contribution that you make and are also taxed at 15%. For most people, this is less than their normal marginal tax rate that they pay outside of super. Therefore, you benefit because you pay less tax while you're boosting your retirement savings. Now, generally making extra concessional contributions is tax effective if you earn more than 37,000 per year, but I do recommend getting some advice on that one to do the calculations. Now, the combined total of your employer and salary sacrifice contributions shouldn't be more than 25,000 per year. So there's a cap for everybody of 25,000 on concessional contributions. I will touch on some other things that you should consider before adding extra in a moment. But before I do, let me talk about the second type of contribution, which is a non-concessional contribution. Think of these ones as after-tax contributions because you've already paid tax on the money that you're putting into super. This type of contribution is capped at 100,000. 
um, in each financial year and potentially up to 300,000 in a lump sum for those that are eligible. Now there are age restrictions and other restrictions about putting these types of contributions in so it is important to do the research before you go ahead and do anything. A little tip here as well is on the Money Smart website they do have a calculator called the Super Contributions Optimizer. And in that calculator, you can put in your personal details um, and how much money you can spare to add to super. And it will then assist in calculating how much of each type of contribution you can make. A word of caution from ASIC though, is that when making decisions about your super, consider your long-term plan, take your time and seek advice to make an informed decision. So if you're really keen to, um, to add more, there are also some other incentives and strategies that you can use to grow your super. So things like um, the government co-contribution, where the government can add up to $500 to your super. Um, spouse contributions is another type, spouse splitting. There's also a downsizer contribution. And for small business owners, there are some special rules and incentives where you may be able to add money to super when you sell your business in a tax advantaged way. This is because the government recognises that for many people in small business, the value of their business actually forms part of their overall retirement plan. Now, apologies for the jargon in some of those contribution types. Um, we are heading into a more complex space with those things, but I did just want to highlight that there are other options that could be well worth exploring. That's five examples, there are more than that, and each one will require you to carefully re research how they work, determine if you're eligible. Each one has strict criteria that has to be met, so I would absolutely recommend getting um, advice from a financial planner if you think some of those might be applicable to your personal situation. Now, which options and strategies you choose to implement also needs to be weighed up against things like, should you be paying more off your residential mortgage first or paying off other debts like credit cards and personal loans, just as, as a few examples. And this is where linking these strategies back to your goals and objectives is important and back to your personal circumstances. Okay, so that was the first um, suggestion. The second way you can build your super um, is checking and possibly changing your investment options inside your super. Again, ASIC warns you here, before making any decisions, consider your long-term plan, take your time and seek advice to make an informed decision. Most funds will let you choose from a range of investment options from conservative to growth. For example, a higher growth option will have a higher risk and you'll likely experience more volatility or ups and downs over the short term. But over the longer term, you'll usually achieve higher returns. Um, a more conservative option, however, will offer lower risk and lower volatility and ups and downs, but generally lower returns over the longer term as well. So check your options and when you're making decisions, think about things like your age. The more time you have, the greater the ability to write out the ups and downs of the market. How comfortable you are with investment risk is also important. And really importantly, also think about how long it is before you can access the funds because they will be locked up for a long time for some people. Now, some super funds do let you choose yourself the different types of asset classes or asset types or actually pick investments as well. So you might decide, for example, to favour 
international over Australian shares or have more in international shares and allocate more of your fund to that. Or you might choose direct investments such as shares or exchange traded funds or term deposits. There's a bit more jargon in there. Go back to Money Smart if you're not sure of what they are and they give you descriptions of each of them. Um, it, you can dig a little bit deeper and there is a little bit more work that I'd suggest you do if you're not, if you're not familiar with them before you dive in. So, if you do choose to make your own selections, think back to those fundamental principles of diversification that we worked through on, in episode two. That's not having all of your eggs in one basket. So the basic principle here is the greater the diversification, the lower the overall volatility or the ups and downs along the way. So diversification can include things like having a mix of the different asset classes. So the asset classes are things like cash, uh, fixed income, property, Australian shares, international shares and so on. Diversification could also be having a mix of different types of shares across different sectors as well as across different countries. So there's lots of different ways you can diversify if you're picking your own investments within superannuation. Now, the third way to potentially build your super may be thinking about consolidating your super into one account if you have more than one to pay fewer fees. But as we spoke about in episode three, before you make any changes, it's really important to do your research and ideally get advice before you make the changes because there could be unintended consequences like the loss of insurances, which you will obviously want to avoid. My final comment here is to always remember that it's never too late to start to build up your super. Often I do meet people or talk to people who lament the fact that they wish they'd started sooner or earlier. But you can't look backwards, there's, there's no point, can't go back in time, there's no point, look forwards um, and make a decision to do something about it today. Okay, so I can almost sense this burning question um, from you all, which is no doubt, how do I know if my super fund is a good one? Now, that's inevitably a trickier one for me to answer, but what I'll do here is steer you towards a research, which, uh, a resource which I think is pretty good, which is called um, Super Ratings. The website is www.superratings.com.au. Um, what they will do there is provide a really good overview of the top funds um, and the qualitative and quantitative differences between them. There's also links on the Money Smart website that'll guide you to other resources where you can compare different super funds as well. Now, before I get to talking about early release of super, I did just want to finish off by sharing with you some observations and I guess my personal opinion on superannuation as an investment vehicle. Because something I've picked up over the years and from presenting at numerous education seminars and talking to prospective clients is that a lot of people actually feel quite detached from their super. Um, perhaps if I put it another way, super for some can tend to feel like it almost isn't their money. And maybe that's because you can't touch it. It might be because it's locked up for so long that it somehow seems less important in the here, than, in the here and now than other things do. But what I encourage you is to think about this. It might not feel like it now, but one day for most people, superannuation will become your most important and only tax-free asset you will ever be able to access. Yes, the superannuation environment is highly tax advantaged and quite deliberately so, and this is important. 
So even if your super may seem like a small amount now, remember that power of compound interest that we spoke about earlier, you will be surprised how quickly it grows over time. The other thing that I want to share with you that's really not commonly understood is that our superannuation system here in Australia is in many ways the envy of the world. According to Investopedia, Australia is ranked, is ranked as having the third best superannuation system in the world, behind the Netherlands at number one and Denmark at number two. Yes, our system is admittedly a bit on the complex side, but I have no doubt that there are many countries today who wish they'd had the foresight to implement a, sim uh, implement a system like ours back when we did. It was in actual fact the Keating government in the early 1990s that implemented the compulsory super system as we know it today. And it, it makes me think about something that one of my bosses um, shared with me early on in my career, is that he always thought about Paul Keating as being the patron saint of financial planning by implementing the compulsory super system. Um, what he essentially meant by that was that, yes, it was great, but it was also so complex that even you know the, the simplest um, scenario um, meant that most people need to seek advice um, in this area, which I don't disagree with, and, and that's not great about our system, but it is indeed, um, it, compared to the rest of the world, a really robust system and, and one that has stood Australia well. It's really resulted in a generation of Australians who are already or will be part or wholly self-funded in their retirement years. And as I said, you know, there are many countries around the world today that are still grappling with ageing populations, which leads to more people entering retirement, people are living longer and needing a steady flow of income to on which to survive when they retire. I share this with you because there can also tend to be, and understandably so, a general mistrust of the superannuation system. And perhaps it's because it's been constantly tinkered with over the years, which does actually make it hard to plan for the future when you don't have the confidence in what the rules are going to be in the future. So the government, though, will continue to reflect on the strengths and the weaknesses in our system and no doubt continue to make changes to ensure that we have stronger long-term outcomes for retirees in the future. So why is it then that we've seen this, this need for continual change to legislation? It is worth noting an observation that most of the changes have mainly been to restrict the amount or limit the amount you can get in. If you step back and have a think about that, money that finds its way into the super system inevitably means less tax revenue collected for the government because of the tax advantages within super. But the government will, in my view, continue to incentivise people to grow their super in order to be self-funded so that less people are reliant on the government pension. The fundamental structure of the system remains sound and does make sense. Let me put it another way for you. The limits that have come in or the restrictions um, are really because the government's not keen on people having massive amounts invested in such a highly tax advantaged environment that's above what is needed to meet a comfortable retirement. It's kind of like Goldilocks and her porridge. You don't want it too hot, you don't want it too cold. So the idea is that they're trying to find the balance of, of what is just enough. What are the amount, and, and avoiding amounts over that um, to, be in, to, then, to be invested in super. They want to invest it 
amounts over outside of super um, so that they get that tax revenue. But ultimately, they do want to encourage us to save for our future retirement and will continue to incentivise that. And in so doing, they're ultimately re relieving pressure on our social security system. As I've touched on a few times, remember that one of the main advantages of the super system is that it's highly tax advantaged. You pay 15% tax when you put your money into super in general. In some funds, it's actually untaxed for some people. And then 15% on earnings inside super once you, when you're building and growing your super over your working life. Now that 15% is generally lower than the average marginal tax rate outside of super. And then when you're ready to retire and eligible to convert your super to a pension, you then have the ability to generate a totally tax-free income stream once certain conditions have been met. And therein lies the key as to one of the main incentives as to why you want to invest into super. Account-based pensions are the only tax restructure the majority of us are ever going to get access to. So why wouldn't you want some of that? Now, I may already have been preaching to the converted here, but I did think it was worth exploring some of those issues and sharing my opinion. So that you've got a better understanding of how the super system works, how the government views it, and where it fits into your financial world. Okay, let me wrap up and conclude by touching on the early access to super under the newly implemented COVID-19 measures. Now, for details about the measure and whether or not you're eligible, suggest you head to the ATO website, Google COVID-19 early release of super, and there's some really good information in there. Alternately, there is a good section on the Money Smart website as well. Now, any people that access their super will not need to pay tax on the amounts released and the money withdrawn will not affect Centrelink or Veteran Affairs payments. It is really important to understand that accessing your super early will affect your super balance and will most likely affect your future retirement income. This is an example of where compound interest is your foe, not your friend, but it may well be essential for some. And I hope for those of you who have gone through the goal setting and the budgeting section that you've got more of a, a grip or an understanding on whether or not it's important for you to access that or not. Other things you need to consider when, when you're withdrawing or if you're looking to access through that early release, um, it could affect your insurance. So insurance may become unavailable on accounts that are fully withdrawn, have a balance below $6,000, um, or are inactive low balance accounts. So please, you should consider whether or not you should be seeking financial advice before submitting your application for early release of super. The government has actually announced a, a, a degree of compliance relief for financial planners to give advice on this particular measure um, with support up to a, an advice fee cap of $300. Or alternatively, if you contact Centrelink, you can try and make an appointment or speak to a financial information service officer who can give you free confidential financial information in relation to that. So I hope this episode has been helpful in getting you started with understanding and deciphering superannuation. Later on in the series, when I get to the episode on preparing for retirement, we'll explore things like how much do I need to retire? What should I change as I get closer to retirement, if anything? And how much can I safely draw down in retirement? 
But in the next episode, we're going to be changing tack and we're going to be talking about debt management. What are the different types of debt? How can you start to get them under control? And importantly, how to pay them off faster. That's it from me. Take care, stay safe, and I look forward to catching up with you next time.